Today is a great day. It's Super Bowl Sunday. I know none of you care, but because I want to know, I want to know something. Uh, if you can go to horizonfam.ca right now, horizonfam.ca, if you have a smartphone or even a dumb one like an Android, but if you have one, hey, hey, you can take it out. You can go to horizonfam.ca and there is a poll there, a little icon that says poll. It's a little Super Bowl poll. Who's going to win, the Patriots, the Rams, or for those of you, there's one more. It says, who cares? This is your moment. This is your moment to register. Patriots, Rams, who cares? Hey, who, just for a show of hands, who's, who, who's more in the who cares place? Yeah. We're going to pray for you right now. Jesus, I... No, it's all good. Because we're going to have a little moment a little later at the end, or maybe in a few minutes here, see how it goes. But it's also, it's Chinese New Year as well, which is cool. Because this is, this, I thought, it's amazing because it starts a little bit further in the year. Uh, because if you blew it on January 1, here's your chance. You can go again. That weight loss program still available for you. You can restart right now. How many of you need and thankful for Chinese New Year today? Okay, good. And if you're older than me, I understand you're supposed to give me a red envelope with money. That could be your chance as well. Hell. We're going to get right on into, we're starting a new series today, going to explain it as we go because it looks kind of different. Um, we, had, we just finished a great series on prayer for the last five weeks talking about prayer, how prayer is so very important that we need to be a people of prayer, uh, that prayer undergirds everything that we do, that the prayer room is the furnace room of the church, that prayer advances things in a powerful way. But there's also something more than that, that praying that doesn't lead to action is only part of the story. Because the story is that everything that we do starts with an encounter with Jesus. Everything that we want to see accomplished starts with an encounter with Jesus. But our hope and prayer is that we don't stay in just an encounter where we come to know Jesus, but through it all that people are continually being transformed by the power of Jesus. That hope can be restored in place of anxiety, that addiction can be uh, broken over people's lives, that lonely ones can find family, that the aimless can find purpose, that whole families can be restored, that, that God can do what he can do, that the, the, that, that the impossible can happen, and it often does, because it starts with an encounter with Jesus and continues a journey of an encounter with Jesus. We're not just about you coming to know Jesus, Jesus. We want Jesus to know you and to train, to, to literally change the direction of your life and the destination of your life. Because the way we see it's always been, it's through not just a church that has a moment like Sunday, but it's a church that goes far beyond that. Not a building, not an institution, but for you, for me, the people around us, joining with Jesus and saying, God, what would you do in my life? How would you change the world that we're a part of? How many of you would say that there's some things in our world that are a, a little messed up right now? How many of you would say there's a, little thing, there's a few things in your life that are a little messed up? Put your husband's hand up. It's a good idea. No, just kidding. But in Ephesians 1 and 23, wherever God would call us the church, it says this. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church. And see, sometimes we can take our cue from what's going on around us instead of taking our cue from what God's doing inside of us. 
Church is not a building. Church is not a service. Church is you. Church is me. Church is people that have been touched by God, know God, and then God begins to deploy them in the world. Because the church, it goes on to say this in Ephesians 1, the church is Christ's body in which he speaks, in which he acts. So God shows up in the world through people. If there's not enough love in the world, it's because we're not showing enough love. If there's not enough good things happening in the world, it's because the people of God are not doing enough good things in the world. It's not all God's job. God's done part of his job, but also our part is obedience and God's part is outcome. He fills everything with his presence through you. So in other words, the center of my life is not all the things that I participate in. The center of my life is the church. The center of my, of my life is finding what God has for my life and doing that thing. The center of my life is not my job. The center of my life is not even my family. The center of my life is not the workplace. The center of my life is not what Donald Trump does. The center of my life is not what the economy is doing. The center of my life is built on, finds its purpose, finds its meaning in the church. I'm part of the church. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, everything in your life begins to change when you change what you center your life around. Not a moment, not a building, but allowing Jesus to do something with your life. Now, I love Sunday. I look forward. When Sunday's done, I'm looking forward to the next one. I'm looking forward to gathering together. I'm looking forward to being in worship. When I go on holidays, I try to find a place to gather with people and worship Jesus. All over the world, I have family that I haven't met yet. That's the wonderful thing. I love Sundays. I love worshiping. I love the word. I love being with people because this hour and this hour, this hour and a half, some of you, it's more like 45 minutes, but we won't get into that. But this hour is super important. But it's not all the story. What about the rest of the story? Because what we do in here is only part of the story. There's 167 other hours in a week that are incredibly important. It's where you go through difficulties. It's where you struggle with anxiety. It's where your life is lived. It's where there's loads of opportunities. It's where Jesus wants you. It's where Jesus uses you. You're needed in the 167 beyond Sunday. So it's not just Sunday, although it's important. It's also life beyond Sunday. It's what we do with the other 167 hours of the week. That's what's going to make a difference long term in your life. That's what's going to make a difference in the life of your family. That's what's going to make a difference in your city. That's what's going to make a difference in our nation is when we live differently, not just Sunday people, but people who live differently beyond Sunday in the 167. Somebody say 167. It matters. It matters how you live in the 167. It matters how you speak in the 167. Because in the life beyond a Sunday, God wants you to use you in a way you're not even aware of right now. Every place that you walk, he wants to use you. Every table that you have a voice at, he wants to use you in the 167. Every classroom that you sit in, he wants to use you in the 167. Every soccer game that you play and are a part of, He wants to use you in the 167. Every hospital room that you're a nurse in, he wants to use you in the 167. Every business deal that you do, he wants to be in you and help you in the 167. Every workplace that you swing a hammer in, every workplace that you uh, turn a wrench in, every workplace that 
you drive a truck in. He wants to use you in the 167. And when the things begin to shift, when we stop being just a Sunday people and start being a 167 people, then God can begin to do things that are not currently happening in the world. Prayer is important. Praise is important. Worship is important. But God wants to break us out of where we are to take us into the 167 because there is life beyond Sunday. Life beyond Sunday. Because what's in here has to get there. The number in here is not the most important number. It's the number out there that's the most important number. God is looking for people. God is looking for people who are far from him. God is calling people that feel like he's abandoned them. God is invading the spaces of people. As we pray, God's doing something that is impossible in you. But God is calling you out of your seat, out of your place, and to move into the 167 and join him in the journey of changing the world. Now I want you to listen to these names and decide what they have in common. Woolworth or Woco? I'm going to tell you a few names. Napster. Some of you have no clue what I'm talking about. Eaton's. Blockbuster. Oldsmobile. The Palm Pilot. Compaq. Computer. They all have something in common. They basically don't exist anymore. They all once dominated their field, but they don't exist anymore. At one time, if you can believe this, Woolworth and Woolco's were all over the place in every major city in, Van in Canada. There was almost 200 of them. They had $1.44 days. Did anybody ever go to a $1.44 day at Woco or Woolworth? Yeah. And somebody else tried to $1.49 days, but... There was Napster, which was around for a couple years, where you could just like share music with people all over the world. Does anybody remember that? Yeah. Some of you got arrested for it. It's all right. It's grace for you today. It lasted a couple years, and then they're like, wait a second. You can't just share your music and give it away. It's like a library. No, can't do it anymore. Eaton's started in 1869. They were the first ones where you didn't haggle for your prices anymore. They put a price on and said, we give you the best deal, here's the price. Up to that time in Canada, everybody haggled. So they were at the front of their field. They were at one time up to 70,000 employees. And then by in 1999, gone. Blockbuster, one time had 84,000 employees, 9,000 stores. There's still one open in America and one open in Australia. That's it. 9,000 stores. And they have a website where they try to sell you things. Now, the Oldsmobile, the oldest car manufacturer, they went first, 1897. In 2004, they were gone. They had made 35 million cars gone. The Palm Pilot. I remember when I got my Palm Pilot. I thought, this is an amazing day. I can have a calendar with me all the time in my pocket. Somebody thought that was cool. But that's all it did was a calendar, and it was amazing. We were like, it's cool. I think it had a game somewhere in there as well. The Compaq. Compaq was sold to Hewlett Packard for $25 billion. Eight years later, they were broken up and, and, and dispersed because they had no value anymore. They all had an advantage over everyone else in their field, and they lost their advantage. They were the first ones. They might have been the best ones. They might have been the fastest, the smartest. 
but they didn't change. And what once had made them great became the thing that hindered them. They didn't change either because of fear or pride or apathy or they got too busy or thought, whatever. The blackberry in particular in Canada. But before we do that, that's... We're going to look at our poll results. Do we have those, Leah? One person, who cares? I think there's something wrong with our poll. Leah, is that your poll? Okay, we'll come back to that, I think. So this, go back to our uh, picture there. So the Blackberry, this here is mine. I still have this in my drawer. Uh, it's never going to work again. But this was an amazing day for me. I can remember when I got it in 2006. And I had my phone in here. I had my calendar. I could text. And the best thing was I could text with BlackBerry Messenger people and know when they read it, when they were ignoring me. And it was so incredible. And, and I thought, it, and it was, it was the top of its field. I think it's called the 7130i. It was amazing. It looked just like that. See, it had a calculator on it. Wow, uh, upgrade from the Palm Pilot. I could get my email on it. It was incredible. I could even use it as a phone. There was no camera on it. I couldn't get music on it. They said you could, but it was a lie. Uh, you had a little to-do list, and you thought, I am amazing. This is, nothing is going to get better than this. It's, it's incredible. And then people in 2007, just a year later, started bringing around, June the 29th, 2007, this toy called an iPhone. Oh, we got an iPhone. I was like, well, for the real people, the business people, the serious people, we have this. You can have your little iPhone toy, 2007. And apparently, that's what BlackBerry thought too. They were like, we don't need to make apps. Who needs apps? This is a serious business thing. People will always want this little keyboard that you can feel. They are tactile. Like, they're not smart enough to have something amazing like an iPhone. And there, 2006, I thought, 2007, I did it. And then finally, by 2009, I pitched this baby. It was done. What once had been amazing was done. In a moment, it was gone. Because, and now, at our council meeting the other night, we almost had to stop and pray because one of my council members had a Blackberry. I was like, what is that? Where did you find it? Show it to your children. It's going to like an archaeological dig. That happens. See, they failed to see the application for the com consumer and missed out on developing for that market. They didn't see what was coming, ignored the complaints, ignored the feedback, and they're gone. They had lost their advantage. The thing that was really incredible for them was getting your email and your phone in the same spot, and they thought, we've arrived. And sometimes I think that's like us. Jesus comes into our lives. He begins to transform us. We get to a certain place and we stop moving forward in what God has for us. We get stuck in certain places and we feel like we're arrived, but there's still so much more. And we start to lose the advantage of what Jesus brought into our life because we make life about one hour a week. Our marriage started out with such promise, but the pressure is on and we are in a bad spot. You're losing your advantage. Always intended to start the business, but you know, one day, and you're losing your advantage. 
You have kids and business and church and life and soccer and ballet and two jobs. And oh, there's a spouse somewhere and you're losing your advantage. Running out, running around, but not seeming to get anywhere. Anybody have those hamster wheel days where you're moving, but you're not getting anywhere. Anybody else have those days? Yeah, we've had them. Anybody else had uh, a year of that? Sometimes it feels, feels like that. Or maybe we start in university with a plan, but by the end we're wondering what we were doing and we're losing our advantage. And I meet and talk with many people who are frustrated with where they're at right now, and they're losing their advantage. They're saying, I'm not where I once was, and I don't know how to get to what's in front of me. I know that there's more, but I can't figure out how to get there. And the 167 hours have moved into too often survival instead of transforming cities, let alone our own lives. So what do we do? For some of us in that spot, it ends in a breakdown. We just keep going till we crash. We keep trying, we keep trying, we keep trying, and eventually we just quit. We give up, we, broke, we break down. For others, they just feel overwhelmed and they bail. It's too much. They bail on their marriage. They bail on their, their uh, job. They bail on church. They bail on faith. They bail on all kinds of things because we think that a change of location will change what's happening on the inside. Others, they just settle in and they just settle for boring. Some it's breakdown. Others it's bail and others it's boring. We just keep muddling along, robbed of life, robbed of joy. We've checked out, we're trying to survive, but that's all it is. But perhaps there is not, there's another way, not just a boring way, not just the breakdown way, not just the bailing way, but maybe there's a better way to regain your advantage because God has created you with an advantage. God has created you with a particular personality, a particular set of gifts, a particular set of circumstances that are an advantage that only you have. There are things that only you can do that, and the enemy is all about trying to stop you from living your advantage, to settle in. And in Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 6, 1 to 8, it says, during those days, the number of Jesus' followers kept multiplying greatly, but a complaint, somebody say, complaint, was brought against those who spoke Aramaic by the Greek-speaking Jews who felt their widows were being overlooked during the daily distribution of food. The 12 apostles called a meeting of all the believers and told them, it is not advantageous for us to be pulled away from the word of God to wait on tables. We want you to carefully select from among yourselves seven godly men, make sure they're honorable, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them the responsibility of this crucial ministry of serving. This will enable us to give our full attention to prayer and preaching the Word of God. Everyone in the church loved this idea. So they chose seven men. One of them was Stephen, who was known as a man full of faith and overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Along with him, they chose Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, this is, I think it's Timon, but I always think of that guy in Lion King when I read that. <laughs> Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, who had been converted to Judaism. All seven stood before the apostles who laid their hands on them and prayed for them, commissioning them to this ministry. God's word reigned supreme and kept spreading. The number of Jesus' followers in Jerusalem quickly grew and increased by the day. Even a great number of Jewish priests became believers and were obedient to the faith. Stephen, who was a man full of grace and supernatural power, performed many astonishing signs and wonders and mighty miracles among the people. 
So here it is, and the setting is, is that this is, it all started with Jesus. Jesus came, it was at Christmas, not December 25th, but he came at Christmas, and then through over 33 years, he came to a point where he was died at Easter. He died and was resurrected. And then uh, just after that, after 40, 50 days, uh, he rose or he ascended to heaven. And he said, now I want you to take what I've done in your life and allow me to work through your life and see what happens. And God's going to move through the power of the Holy Spirit in you. And so they did that. And thousands of people were coming to Jesus. Thousands, not like one or two, but thousands of people were coming to Jesus. People were getting healed. Signs and wonders were being done all over the place. And things were happening. And here's what was then happening. In the middle of an incredible advance, there was, what's the word we said? A complaint. A complaint. 15 to 20,000 people in a short amount of time. They had 120, and within just a few short weeks, they were at 20,000 in their church. And no surprise, somebody was getting missed, and there were some complaints. There were widows, and these are serious, some widows who weren't getting fed. It was, there was no uh, uh, program of the government. There was people feeding people and people helping people. And, and it says they were overlooked, and that word overlooked means not just once in a while, but it was happening habitually. It was ongoing. The, the overlook was happening again and again and again. And have you ever been the one that was dropping responsibilities and dropping the ball uh, on things? Have you ever been the one that you've had it happen to you where someone's dropping a ball on you? Anybody ever had that happen where you counted on somebody and they didn't show up or they didn't do what they said they were going to do? Nobody except me. Come on. Yeah, I can see you. This is not TV. Okay, I got you right now. Okay. So everybody has found that either you've been there or you've had it done to you where you've been stretched, where you've been overloaded, where balls have been dropped and you've stopped moving forward. You're paralyzed with just things that are happening all around you, things that are overwhelming, things that are getting missed, things that are being overlooked. But you're losing your advantage. See, a complaint or a problem is actually a gift to you. It's telling you, that something's wrong. So when you feel some things that are out of order, when you feel things that are not the way that they should be, it's telling you that something is wrong. Pain, complaint, the problem does not always mean that the devil is winning, that everything is going wrong in your life. Sometimes the complaint means you got to make a change. The complaint is saying it's time to change in that. The complaint is saying there's a problem. It's not because you've always done something terrible. It simply means that there has to be a change that happens. Shanda and I had started a, a discipleship school for young adults a number of years ago. And uh, I was in my early 30s. And uh, for some reason, the young guys who were in their 20s always wanted to wrestle me. The uh, dumb thing to do. I'll just tell you that. Uh, when I was in my early 30s, that was not smart to do. I had one time, there was four of them. Uh, we were having a baptism at a, at a river, and I think four of them tried to jump me to throw me in the river. At the end of it all, I had lost my shoe. There were four guys running for it, and I was not in the river. I'll tell you that. But a few years later, this one guy, young guy, little uh, Mexican-American by the name of Art, he said, I want to wrestle you. And I was like, all right. I'll do that. I don't think you should do that with your young adults, but I did then. 
I took the challenge. I was like, okay, Art, come on here. And he just jumped me so fast. And he grabbed my neck and twisted it like that. And I poof, fell on. And I was like, I can't feel anything right now. And I'm like, oh, I'm trying to fight. I'm like, I give up. I give up so fast. And I was like, oh, my neck. And for like a week, my neck was so sore. I could hardly turn my head. And I was like, oh, this pain is giving me a message. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I used to be. And so I had recognized that I had to change. And the biggest change was not to go to the gym. It was to stay away from art. Like, don't do that anymore. But here it was, these guys that had incredible moments and services and thousands of people coming to know Jesus, and it was powerful, but there was life beyond Sunday in the 167. Balls were getting dropped in the life outside of church. Things were happening. Widows weren't getting fed. Responsibilities weren't being met. Why did the church need to do, what did they need to do? We need to say, we needed to adjust things. We needed to change. Everyone in the church loved this idea. Why did the church love the idea? They recognized that church was not just about a meeting. Church was not just about, wow, powerful moments of prayer. Important, yes. Church was not just about preaching the gospel. Yes, important, all that. But church was about the hours, the 167 that you live your life in, and they recognized that's where things begin to shift in, in the world. Strengthening marriages, advocating for the disabled, bringing families together, lifting burdens, meeting needs in the city, living life among the widows and the orphans, restoring hope, advocating, doing what Jesus would have us to do. Because when you live the purpose you were created for, you will gain the advantage you were designed for. And some of us have lost our, advan our advantage, not because God's taken it away, not because your life is bad, not because the devil has, but because you've stopped living your purpose in God. How do you get your purpose back? Because when you get your purpose back, you get your advantage back. First is embrace your season. They said it's not advantageous to be pulled away from the word of God to wait on tables. Most commentators doesn't, don't think that somebody else was doing it. They think that the 12 apostles were trying to look after 15,000 people and make sure nobody was overlooked. And it was just growing beyond them. How many have had your responsibilities grow beyond what you could do right now and feel a little stretched, a little bit more than you can handle? They weren't, it wasn't because they were too good to wait on tables. It was because they realized that they couldn't do both. They were being pulled two ways. Love that analogy. Pulled away from what was most important. Some of us are being pulled away from things that are not our purpose and being pulled away into things that are just distraction. Some of those things are not big deals in themselves, but they're things like hours on Netflix. They're things like purposeless uh, wandering around on TV. There are things like all kinds of things. There are things where uh, the season you're in is changing. You can't do everything. You can, you can only do what God's called you to do. And sometimes you have to let go of some good things or you'll never experience God's best things. Yeah, but I want to do this and I want to do that and I want to do the other thing. Sometimes you have to let go of some good things so you can grab a hold of the best things. Sometimes you have to say no to some things you really want to do so you can say yes to do the things that you were created to do. Because when you find and live out your purpose, you discover your advantage. Everyone, our seasons. Some of us, there are three seasons. There are the season that was. There's the season that is. And there's a season that will be. 
And if you're not careful, you might live in the season that was. Remember when this, remember when that, remember how that, or on the other side, I can't ever get out of this because I blew it, or I lost it, or I got into some terrible things that I should never have gotten, and we never get out of that. And then there's others who never want to live in here or there. They're always out here. God's going to do this one day. One day I'm going to travel here, and one day I'm going to do that, and, and these amazing things are going to happen, and I'm going to see this, and I'm going to have that, and all these amazing things. But the only place God has given you grace for is this season. This season. Because God is not a God of the was. He's not just a God of the will be. He is the God of the now. His name is I am, not I was or will be. He is I am. And some of you are in places uh, and problems because you're trying to live in too many places. Be present where you are because there's power in your present. There's power where you are. There's power in the place that you are in. There's power. And it doesn't mean you never will adjust out of it, but let God deal with where you are. Are, not where you want to be or where you used to be because there is a power that you can access when you live in your present. Be present. Be present. People used to say to us, what stage of life do you really, when our kids were a little smaller, toddlers, do you really like miss the toddler or the, the baby years? I'm like, no. Those were amazing. I love them. But guess what? I have toddlers now. I love this stage. And then when we got out of toddler stage, I wasn't like, man, I wish I was in toddler stage because I had five, six, and seven-year-olds. And this was the best time ever because we got to ride bikes and go places. And then when we stepped into the next season, because you can't live in where you were, always looking back, you have to live in where you are because that's where there's grace for your life. And sometimes your frustration is because you're living here or living there when God has you here. And I believe this, that sometimes God won't let you out of this until you learn to just relax. Relax. Your season. Enjoy your season. Hmm. Hmm. We're going to skip a bunch. Let me just say this, though, in your season. Sometimes your expectations of yourself are unreasonable for the season you're in. Your expectations should not be driven by what other moms or what other dads or what other business people are doing, what other people in your class are doing. Your expectation comes from what does Jesus require of you? And sometimes we've taken away from the spot of trying to let everybody else determine what is right for our life, and we can't. St- and we're, there's no joy in that. There's no grace in that. But what Jesus has done, he said, I want to lead you into the path that I have for your life. Your path the pathways that God has for you in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand is pleasures evermore. It says that he leads me beside still waters. God has a pathway for you. God has a place for you. God has a pace for you. Don't run somebody else's race. Don't go at somebody else's space. Don't go at somebody else's way that they have to live your life, their life. God has a pace and a pace, space for you. I'll tell you in practical terms what that meant for us. We decided at the season of our life when our kids were little, one of us, before we ever had kids, we said when we get into that season, one of us is going to stay home with our kids until they go to, home, uh, they go to school. That's not good or bad. That's just our decision that we felt God wanted us to do. And so we didn't whine when we didn't have all the things that other people had. Because that was our season. That's what God asked us to do. And we were like absolutely okay with not 
getting this and doing that and going here and doing that and ministering here. And Oh, Shanda wants to minister and God wants to take her places. She has the call of God on her life from a young girl, wanted to go all kinds of places in the world and God, and, and it was always there. But in that season, she could have been, you stupid little kids. Who, whose idea was it to have you? You're holding me back from what God would have for me. I can't believe, I can't wait till you grow up and you, you get to have your uh, kids just like you because then I'll be free. Some of us don't say that, but we speak about our season like that. I can't wait about, I can't wait till I get out of this college and then I, the people around me and they're such jerks and, and that guy left me alone in the lurch in the middle of my project, left me hanging and everything like that. But God might want to use you to help that guy. God want, might want to use you in the middle of the season that your rejection, because sometimes God gives you what, gives you what you need in a package you don't like. What, is the, what do you need in your season? Another thing that we did, we didn't have our kids in, involved in 97 things. Like I heard on the radio someone talking about uh, their kids in sports, and they said, well, some kids have the capacity to be out every night of the week doing their sports. I was like, no, they don't. Even if they do, unless they're going to be like Wayne Gretzky or uh, some superstar soccer player who I don't know because I don't care about it, but somebody, okay, Messi, Okay, Ronald, like whoever, like just relax because they can learn a lot of things in there, but don't make that their whole life. The center of life is what? The church. A life and a church is what Jesus is doing, and everything is peripheral to that. Yeah, but I want my kids to do this, and I want them to do that, and I want them to do that. Be careful you're not living your life all through your kids. But even more than that, no matter what age you're in, don't reject the season you're in. Don't reject the place that you're in and miss out what God wants to do now. Embrace the season and let Jesus adjust your season. Because I'll tell you this as well, that sometimes the expectations of others are unattainable in the season you're in and you will never reach them. That's why we have hearing God. That's why we have listening prayer. That's why we encourage you to be a part of those. So not only do you embrace your season, ask for help. Look what the apostles did. We want you to carefully select from among you seven godly men. How many of you hate asking for help? Because you know what? You're just going to have to fix it anyway, right? Like, you know, others have blown it. You know, there's a period of time in my life where I had some real anxiety and I had some discouragement and, and I felt the blues in a long ways and it wouldn't lift off me. And I, uh, this is not like 100 years ago or 10 years ago. It's like probably three, four years ago. Uh, and I felt that way. And I had to first, I said to my wife, I need help. I don't know what's going on. I said to people to pray for me, I need help. And then I went to a counselor and said, I need help because I couldn't, I couldn't stay where I was. I was stuck in a, in a, in a space that I didn't want to, but I knew that I needed to get into a new space where God has called me and embrace the season because some of it was because there was some stuff back here that was trying to invade where I was now and God needed to set me free from that and I needed to ask for help. Involve others in your help. Don't, uh, don't be reactionary. Don't abandon your responsibilities. Make sure it's covered by someone else. They didn't just say, well, we have to preach and we have to read the Bible and pray. So widows, oh well. They made a way to make sure needs were still being met. There are resources you need that you're not currently aware of. There are, because you're not asking. There are resources that God has for you that you're not accessing because you're not 
asking for help. That's why we encourage you to find your people and join a group. It's not just a slogan to say, life is better together. It's better together. It's a place where primarily about relationship, where you can find connection, where you can connect with people, people doing things that uh, are maybe are similar to you, people that are doing things. Some are playing basketball. Some are playing pickleball. Some are uh, uh, reading the Bible together. Some are making food together. Some are praying for one another. There's all kinds of things. The important thing is get into relationship and ask for help. Be a part of it because not only is it a place of connection, it's also a place of protection where God can protect you in those seasons when you feel overwhelmed, when you don't know what to do and they can pray for you and be part of you and and continue to encourage you and stand with you take a step find your people and join a group horizon fam or at the welcome center because when you live the purpose you're created for you'll gain the advantage you were designed for third find your spot we will give them the responsibility of this crucial ministry of serving it's incredibly important that you find your spot it's crucial It's not crucial for you to do everything, but it's crucial for you to do God's thing for you. Now, in our family, we're fairly traditional in some of our roles things. Uh, For example, I don't do a lot of the cooking in our house. It's a good thing. I know how to cook bacon and eggs and a few other things, maybe make some baking, but that's about it. And so every so often, though, we have... uh, We have students from... uh, One from China and one from Japan who live with us. And every so often, I cook... And this is what I hear. Who's cooking? I am. They're like, you're cooking? I was like, yes. Look at it. It's right here. And then all of a sudden, like 30 minutes later, the doorbell rings and there's KFC. (laughs) They recognize this is not dad's spot. He may be able to do something there, but I'm not eating that. Yes. Yes. It's a true story. It happens all the time. So if I want KFC, I just tell them I'm cooking, and they, like, order it up. Like, I don't even cook anything. I'm cooking up at KFC. It's awesome. It's cheaper, too. There are some of you that God is preparing to step into new things. You've been a sideliner, and you've been wondering why you haven't been able to find your advantage, your rhythm. Part of it is because you need to find your spot. Not just in the one, but in the 167. There are some of you who God wants to use here and in the 167. Ephesians 2.10 says that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God's prepared in advance for you. So there's something that God has for you. There's a spot that God has for you. There's a gift that God has in you. There's a call that God has on you. The world needs you. You could have been born at any other time, but in the, in the sovereignty of God, he chose this time. You could be living any other place in the world, but God has called you to live in this place, wherever you are in whatever space you are in that we don't reject it, but we embrace it and find our spot in the middle of it. And you say, well, how can I find my spot? How can I find it? That's what we have grow track for. And we talk about it all the time. And we have to remind you, the reason for it is not so that we can have more people to serve. We actually say this, find your purpose, go to grow track. We want you to find the purpose of God for your life. Because when you live out the purpose of God, you get to have the advantage that God designed for you. That's what Jesus has created you for. You might have been unseen. See, those seven guys, nobody knew that they were capable of until they stepped up. 
They might not have known what they were capable of until they stepped up. And there are things that you've disqualified yourself with from because you thought there's somebody else that can do it better. There's somebody else that can do it uh, in, a, in a more appropriate way. There's somebody else who's, who knows? All you have to do is begin to step up. So like the apostles of those days, I'm saying... Who among us would step up in another way? Who among us would begin to find our purpose so that we can, uh, in the middle of that, find the advantage that God created you for? Because here's the thing. At the very beginning, we talked about that the church is the center of it all, not the periphery. Everything else uh, works and rotates around that. So when you get this right, everything else can begin to be reordered and find its place. But if you're off kilter a little bit, you're out off center, suddenly things don't flow as good as they might. And our grow track is a process that simply helps you to find your purpose because your design reveals your destiny. God has created you in a certain way. You're not broken. You're not discarded. You're needed. You're valuable. You're seen. You're needed. There's a spot for you. There's a place for you. You are you are needed. You are important. The world needs you and me to be moving towards our place. But too often, too few are doing too much and too many are doing too little. And this is not about anything about trying to get more people to serve. It's actually about this. When you begin to find your purpose, what happens? What's our bottom line this morning is this, is that when you live the purpose you were created for, you gain the advantage you were designed for. Notice what it said about this, this crucial ministry of serving. I've heard people say after, you know, I just have the ministry of help. Just have the ministry of help. I'm just a background person. I'm just a, uh, well, let me tell you this. I say this again and again. There's more power in the people than there is in the pulpit. Because when, but what I mean by that is when each of us find our spot, when each of us begin to slide into that place that God has for us, incredible things begin to happen. Because everything that we do for Jesus is crucial. It's crucial just preparing coffee. It's crucial. It's just making bulletins. It's crucial. It's just greeting. It's crucial. It's just wrapping some presents for some, uh, for inner city students. It's crucial. It's just serving soup at night shift. It's crucial. But Craig, you're talking all about church stuff. What does that have to do with the 167 the rest of my life? Now we're going to close with this. Look at this. Stephen, one of the guys finding his place on the table. Hey, Stephen, will you come and serve in this place? In this season right now, we need you. And Stephen stepped into that. It's all connected. Here it is. There's no divide. The God of your Sunday wants to invade your everyday. The God of this hour wants to invade the other 167 hours. Because here's what happens. Stephen, who was serving tables on Sunday, performed many astonishing signs and wonders and mighty miracles among the people. What starts as menial often leads to a miracle. Don't overlook the menial the seemingly insignificant because in the, it's almost always in the menial, the unseen, the, 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 the obscure places, the places of obscurity where you feel like nobody sees, it's in moments like that that turn into a miracle. You might have heard a number of weeks ago about someone who came in, was sent here by a nurse in a hospital to go to Horizon um, and see what happens. They were sick. And they came and in that service, through a word of knowledge about their esophagus, they were healed, gave their life to Jesus. And that was somebody taking the one hour and moving it into the 167 hour. And then the loop comes back to somebody 
in the one hour whose life is changed and then begin to live differently in the 167. What starts as menial often leads to a miracle. Don't miss a miracle because you only see a table. Don't miss a miracle because you only see the moments at home with your children. These guys are leaving to get baptized here in a moment. Don't miss a miracle because you only see your hammer or your wrench. God's into 167. Don't miss a miracle because you only see a neighbor that needs your help in her yard or you're helping someone find a place to sit or because you only see your work at workplace because when you live the purpose you were created for, you will gain the advantage you were designed for. I want to invite you to stand to your feet and I'm going to close out and then we're going to have baptism and we'll go on. There's two things I want to close with. I just want you to ask you to consider. I said all this starts with encounter with Jesus. Everything for our life starts with that encounter with Jesus where we get to know Jesus. And if you've never made Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life, it's as simple as that. Start the journey with Jesus. Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. And God can begin to do something in your life. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask these questions just for your own response. How many of you need to embrace the season that you're in? Just just raise your hand. Embrace the season you're in. Stop fighting it. Just embrace the season that you're in. Come on. How many of you know you need to ask for help a little bit more? Just raise your hand. Find your people. How many of you know it's time to find your, your spot? Yeah. All over. Because when you live the purpose you're created for, you'll gain the advantage you were designed for. So, Father, I thank you that it all starts and ends with Jesus. We absolutely desperately need you, Lord. And everyone who said, Lord, I need you, and whether to be the forgiver of their of my life or to just invade my everyday, my 167, God, I need you in every space. I need to take steps to embrace right now the place and the season I'm in. I need to ask for help. I, I need to... Find my spot. Lord, I thank you that if you're not driving us, you're leading us. Pressure drives, Jesus leads. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that the purpose we were created for will gain the advantage we were designed for. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen.